This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 442 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host, Stefan Botsko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund extending their winning streak to 8 out of 8 in 2023 by beating, as the last Pullman correctly predicted, Hertha Berlin 4-2-1. And we will preview Saturday's match away to 15th place TSG Hoffenheim. For all that and more, joins me, yes, you guessed it, Lars Pullman. Hello, Lars, how are you doing? Hello, Stefan. Thank you very much for reminding people of my excellent... Uh, prediction skills, which I completely forgot about until after the game, so it's not necessarily like I can toot my own horn too much. How are you, Stefan? I'm doing well, thank you. And uh, we also have a sponsor for this episode, as you may have guessed. Wir sind komplett schuldenfrei. Wir zahlen keinen einzigen Euro an Zinsen. Because we need, of course, to reveal the winner of the official league giveaway uh, official league is the sponsor of this episode again who make uh, hats or caps or lids i don't know uh, what exactly they call it uh so i, I guess caps is the right word but uh, anyway they have a really cool collection uh, partnered up with borussia dortmund and so if you're still waiting in line for your special uh, edition dortmund shirt maybe uh you can go over to officialleague.co and uh, purchase your hat there. But uh, one who does not have to purchase a hat is John Lambert, because he has uh, made all the correct things. He has uh, tweeted at Schmelzer under the uh, <laughs> giveaway tweet, and he has followed Official League on Twitter. And of course, that makes him eligible. And uh, with that, congrats uh, to a new hat. Uh, watch out for your DMs on Twitter, John. And uh, yeah, with that, we can move on to what was, in the end, a very nice Sunday afternoon, especially knowing that uh, Bayern Munich had already lost and uh, Schalke had uh, drawn scoreless to uh, Union Berlin. So uh, it was clear that Dortmund, with uh, another win, could move toward the top of the table because uh, they're still tied uh, first or second, now separated by goal difference. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> not not by wins because uh, I think Dortmund have more wins in the table than uh, Bayern Munich currently. But... Um, Last, let's uh, start with the starting lineup because uh, I think I heard you make a few predictions for that starting lineup, but in the end there were more changes uh, than maybe anticipated. So, uh, what were your thoughts on uh, the eleven that Tessic brought out? Uh, I don't necessarily remember what I predicted. I only rem remember correct predictions, Stefan, as one does. <laughs> so not that many. <laughs> in your case, anyway. Um, <laughs> I think I was a bit surprised uh, at just the amount of changes just because uh, they are well attuned to playing midweek fixtures at this point of the season and they had the the current week, I guess, off. So didn't necessarily expect uh, Bellingham's first uh, Bundesliga rest by coach's decision of the season, for example. Uh, a few other things, but I mean, ultimately... I guess it's a sign of the strength of uh, this squad at the moment that you can make these changes and things don't look too too dissimilar from 
you know, the first seven games of the year, obviously not having Bellingham in the center of the park is, is quite a big change. But I think other than that, I couldn't necessarily say that I missed uh, Niklas Sugel playing ahead of Mats Hummels, for example, even though I think right now uh, in the more important fixtures, it would be Zulu over Hummels. Yeah, I think we can definitely agree on that. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, after I think predicting it, was also pretty pleased that uh, Daniel Malen started uh, up front because I always wanted to see him uh, in the striker position again with a more informed team around him and uh, see what that would do. And obviously he did score the 2-0, but, um, you know, before that we should maybe talk about... Um, the first half hour, um, because I thought that uh, Dortmund did not have very good ball circulation and Hertha <laughs> uh, were uh, doing pretty well uh, pressing Dortmund and uh, creating shots themselves. I mean, overall, Hertha created 16 shots compared to Dortmund's 12 and uh, they looked to be quite dangerous and uh, obviously I was not surprised by that, if I'm honest, because it is... A classic trap game, especially at the back of a Champions League game, um, which, yeah, shines a little bit more prominently uh, than uh, a match against uh, Hertha Berlin, who are, I don't know, pretty far down the table. So, um, but, you know, they still have decent players and uh, decent organization, I would say. So, uh, overall, I think... It's fair to say that uh, Dortmund did miss another playmaker in, in, in deep-lying midfield. I thought that uh, Charlie Oshan did struggle a little bit um, with uh, keeping the ball to himself <laughs> or, or uh, among his uh, lines. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I personally probably would have started Moda Hood, but uh, obviously, uh, yeah, he is a topic uh, for uh, further down the line because of the news uh, coming from Sebastian Kehl. Um, but what I did like is that uh, we had ob obviously the uh, very nice uh, chemistry again between Marco Reus and uh, Julian Brandt. Um, that was nice to see. And of course, uh, Karim Adeyemi um, continuing where he left off in previous games. Now, obviously, the annoying part is that he picked up an injury and will now be out for three weeks. Um, but Lars, again, do you think that uh, Karim Adeyemi has settled into a degree where he really knows now how to utilize his strengths? I'm not necessarily sure that he needed to know that. I think it's more a case of uh, Terzic and the coaching staff not really figuring out how to use his qualities in the first half of the season. Um, if you remember how many times Adeyemi as a predominantly left-footed player was put on the right wing uh, across from uh, Daniel Mahl most of the time and and then supposed to provide width uh, despite, you know, uh, his dominant foot being the left one. So whenever Adeyemi tried to do what he was supposed to do, he basically had to turn around and face his own goal um, to have the ball at uh, his preferred foot. And that just does not make sense. Um Obviously, it's also down to uh, confidence and, I, I suppose, getting that first Bundesliga goal out of the way. Maybe a stern talking to or two uh, during the winter break, which, you know, there's been enough reporting now that they spoke to Adeyemi and John in particular, but I suppose pretty much every player after pretty disappointing first part of the season. So, yeah, I mean... Now he's injured for three weeks. I think that's almost a, a sort of best case scenario after what looked like a pretty severe muscle injury. 
if that had been a torn uh, muscle strand, uh, that might have been three months, which basically would have meant season over almost. Um, might have also been obviously just a strain or whatever, but I think we all kind of knew when when he went down that quickly. Didn't even look at uh, Daniel Mahlen finishing off his assist. I think that that looked pretty painful and was quite obvious that something was torn rather than strained. So I think three weeks, obviously not ideal because Adeyemi was probably the most informed out-and-out attacker because I think uh, Brandt is obviously more of a midfielder. Um, but then again, I think uh, they have the recent experience of uh, Adeyemi being suspended both in the league and the cup and they still won two games without him. So it's not like um, this is absolute devastation. Um, assuming obviously that he's going to come back within the, the time frame that's given to us and, and picking up where he left off because it would be a shame for him to lose all the momentum and all the confidence that he only just regained um, through injury. But that's also part of the game. And I think... Uh, in, in terms of uh, Dortmund's usual bad luck with injuries, I think him and Mukoko being out at the same time is still pretty low on the spectrum. Yeah, that is correct. Um, but uh, nevertheless, uh, another goal, another assist. And um, <laughs> I mean, the goal came about a little bit uh, coincidentally, if you will. But if you're in that flow, I mean, first of all, the, Mark Royce winning the ball in midfield and then, you know, having quick passes between Brandt, uh, and Reus and then uh, obviously Adeyemi, but uh, Mark Reus did admit that it wasn't a pass, it was an attempted shot that he just mishit. Uh, but still, to have this kind of flow uh, to score with your back heel on the turn is uh, just oozing confidence because you're just doing, you're not thinking at this moment. And uh, it was a hell of a sexy goal. And <laughs> considering how the game was going, I didn't quite see it coming, to be honest. And... Um, it is just uh, speaking for the wave that Dortmund are riding currently. And then uh, to score three minutes later where uh, Adeyemi... I, I, I forgot who it was in, in the back line um, from uh, Hertha. might have been Oremovic, um, who Adeyemi, even though his uh, muscle fibers were already tearing, absolutely torched. And um, yeah, the assist for Daniel Malen also really a nice cross into the box and considering that he did it uh, while also <laughs> grabbing his thigh um i yeah i'm i'm just more than impressed with that and uh, donia malen uh, right place right time uh nice finish and does him also a lot of confidence uh, i think uh, the stats were out there that uh, it took malen 26 shots to score a goal which is the the most amount of attempts needed for any striker in the bundesliga this season so, um, yeah, hope he can build on that because uh, if I believe Tessic and uh, his comments at the pregame conference, uh, this is probably something that we will see more of now that uh, Mokoko is still out and uh, that Alea needs his breaks here and there. So hopefully Malen uh, will do better because uh, I thought he had very good moments, but also some moments where his decision-making was just not quick enough and he was dribbling too much when he probably should have picked out the pass. And um, yeah, slow things down and obviously his, his defensive work rate is nowhere near where it needs to be, but at least he can hide it a little bit better when he's playing striker. But um, yeah, apart from that, maybe a quick switch of play, but Lars, how, how, how did you or how do you like uh, the uh, special 
uh, edition jersey and uh, <laughs> I don't know if you want to also talk about the smoke grenade that uh, Hertha fans launched at the beginning of the game but uh, Dortmund definitely did have a whole theme there uh, I don't know if you got your hands on one or not but uh, the demand was certainly high yeah I think uh, on Saturday I entered the uh, fan shop basically just to see the, the queue because it was quite obvious that not everyone would be able to get one right away. And uh, over the course of the day, uh, I let the idea marinate inside <laughs> me, as it were. And ultimately, I uh, complete the set, if you will, because I obviously have the first blackout kit um, and the neon kit. So I just said, what the hell? It's, it's uh, coming, I think, half a year from now, basically. But I do have uh, a... Blackout Edition number nine Sebastian Alea kit coming to my house eventually. <laughs> despite me not, or despite my not uh, liking it as much as the first Blackout Edition, uh, but that's mostly down to the sponsorship of Ivonic looking better than one in one. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, the the Hertha stuff with the smoke grenade or whatever, I. I, I'm probably not in the stadium often enough to appreciate that aspect of uh, support in, in, in German football. I think um, having been at the Revier Derby in September, uh, that was quite a bit of pyrotechnics going off in front of me on the yellow wall. Uh, that was just about fine. But when you see players holding their noses because the smell is unbearable and game has to be halted for four or five minutes I think that's not necessarily my cup of tea I don't know all the details of uh, what Hertha fans were protesting I think it was a concerted action with uh, fans from like Frankfurt and, and Hamburg or whatever so uh, it's not my cup of tea I uh, appreciate that it's uh, not necessarily their legal right but uh, their philosophical right as it were uh, to protest things, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, if if it were up to me, I think protesting is fine, but maybe not influencing the game like that. Yeah, maybe a little less smoke. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, in, in the end, it was Dortmund who brought all the smoke anyway and uh, smoked hat, <laughs> as it were, for the one. Um, yeah, if we if we talk about fan things or if you want to hear more about it I, I think there are better podcasts to do it especially this week I think uh, what happened to Cologne fans as they travel to Stuttgart and then not being able to attend the game is probably a much more important subject uh, than uh, whatever Hertha fans were protesting but uh, yeah back to the game and um, maybe we can switch over to the second half because uh, it's not that uh, that more things happened in the first half, to be honest. And uh, right out of the gate, um, after the break, Dortmund did concede. And uh, first of all, it was really lax defending, but at the same time, I thought that uh, Hertha, uh, for the only time this game, pretty much uh, were a bit more clever in uh, their, you know, counterattacks, breaks, whatever you want to call it, um, because the layoff uh, from Sudat Serda to uh, Luka Tuzar who then really smashed it under the crossbar, um, was rather smart because otherwise I thought that Hertha, when they were afforded the ball, like <laughs> Marcus Wolf gave it away in the first half, um, or in other instances, they um, took a lot of snapshots, so, so to speak, um, where Gregor Kobe wasn't really that much 
uh, threatened by them. And uh, obviously, they could have been a little bit smarter about it. But uh, in, in that instance, um, yeah, I don't know how you want to describe this defensive sequence <laughs> that was rather non-existing last, but uh, I thought um, Dortmund were not quite switched on. I mean, a goal against in the 46th minute, uh, I've never seen that from Dortmund <laughs> over the years. Um, I think... I mean, you can't defend everything in the Bundesliga, even against uh, somewhat pedestrian attacking sides uh, such as Hertha. But I think the least you can expect is full commitment from uh, players who are supposed to be defensive-minded. And I'm looking at particularly uh, Sali Özcan in that instance. And just generally, I'm not necessarily impressed with him over the last few games um, because... The, the game, uh, the goal, uh, Tuzar, who's a fine player, whom I wouldn't mind Dortmund signing as a side note. Um, the goal doesn't happen if, or very unlikely to happen, in my opinion, if Özcan uh, is just tracking uh, back in a way that you can expect a defensive midfielder uh, by trade to do. I mean, uh, it's the umpteenth goal this season that they've conceded. Uh, after a hole is developing in front of their backline where a player such as Özcan uh, or maybe John or uh, Dahoud if he was playing or sometimes Bellingham, uh, regardless of personnel, they've had this issue of uh, leaving too many gaps or too big gaps uh, in, in, ahead of their defensive line. And that's where Tuzal made the darting run into the box and I think there's a the the behind the goal angle on the TV signal, at least in Germany. But it basically shows you that if Özcan had made the run that he's supposed to do, uh, he's basically there where Tuzar is taking the shot. So either Tuzar has to uh, move into a less advantageous shooting position, or the pullback pass isn't even attempted. So um, it, I mean, it's obviously a bit uh, hindsight twenty twenty and whatever uh, to or too easy to make that kind of assumption. But if Özcan makes that run, chances are the goal doesn't happen. And it's not the first time this season that such a simple, uh, not tactically difficult, not particularly straining or whatever, just mental switched onness, if that's a word. Uh, yes, it is now. Yeah, and that's just lacking a bit. Um, and, and as I said, I think... I've, I was one of the big supporters of the signing of Sally Oeschen in the summer. I still think he's a, a good player who will, who will develop into the kind of player that uh, is good enough for the level Dortmund want to be at. But right now, it's just not enough from him, both on the ball uh, and especially given what he's supposed to be doing uh, off the ball. Yeah, maybe this is a good segue then to the Dahoud uh, subject because uh, Sebastian Kiel did come out. Uh, I don't know what day, but it was certainly Monday. this week. Yeah, Monday, uh, saying that uh, Dortmund will not extend the contract with uh, Mahmoud Dahoud. Um, your reaction, Lars? I'm sad. Uh, one of my favorite players, as long-time listeners will know. Um, I think there's also a bit of a misconception because uh, a lot of people have uh, taken the opportunity to uh, praise Kiel especially, but Dortmund in general, for you know, being tougher on, on the team and, you know, uh, making the difficult decisions to move forward and getting a bit more uh, success-driven and less sentimental or whatever. 
But uh, today, they, or, or yesterday, late in the evening, there was a report from uh, VATS, a local paper uh, close to Dortmund, uh, who basically wrote that uh, Dortmund would have extended Dahoud's contract just for one year and Dahoud and his agent uh, wanted a more long-term solution. So it's not like Dortmund categorically said, you know what, you're a fine guy and a good player, but we don't want you anymore. So it's, but rather, uh, you know, we are not sure how much we want you, but stick around for one more season, would you? And I think I can understand Dahoud's perspective. He's now 27 years old. He's a two-time Germany international. He's not getting much playing time at Dortmund. So um, getting the opportunity to sign for another reasonably big club. And there's reports out there that, um, you know, Milan, Sevilla, Leicester City. So decent clubs from uh, good European leagues are interested in him. Um, that's something that he should pursue, obviously. But uh, perhaps a bit selfishly, uh, I don't like uh, losing the players I grow attached to over the years. And and <laughs> and uh, someone like uh, Lockdown Iniesta, for me, will always have a special place in my heart. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I think it was a mistake to not bring on Dahoud after seeing what Ashan produced, uh, especially also going into the second half. And uh, to me, a player like Dahoud was much, much needed. And if we all remember, when he went down with a shoulder injury against Werder Bremen, it sort of uh, yeah flipped the whole game on its head because uh, I don't know how many minutes it was in, maybe eight or so, not that many, but uh, Dortmund were playing pretty well and uh, to that point Dahoud I thought was also a part of uh, Dortmund doing well and then when he came off uh, <laughs> uh, yeah the regression of ball possession and circulation and uh, overall dominance uh, was uh, easily seen and I think in the game especially against an opponent like Hertha Berlin uh, Dahoud would be a, a perfect player to have even as a holding midfielder um, because to me Ball retention is more important than uh, ball winning, especially if, like Urshan, you're not even making the runs anyway. Um, that being said, Urshan obviously did have a few very good uh, ball winning moments, but uh, it's not like Dahoud uh, never has them. He also is a, a fairly decent ball winner, I would say, and uh, would have been to me, in my book, a very good opportunity to reintroduce him uh, after his shoulder injury and the fact that he's currently not getting playing time is something uh, beyond my assessment because I do not know why the reason for that is, but uh, at least on paper to me, he should be in there and he should uh, get way more playing time than he is currently so far this season. So I don't know what his fitness level is. I don't know um, how he's doing in training, obviously, but um, other than that, I'm I'm a bit disappointed to not see some Samo who magic because I think he's... Uh, a very good player that Dortmund can very much need right now because even Jude Bellingham sometimes does not have this magic Hollywood pass that the Hood has in his in his foot. And uh, when you have players like Brandt and uh, Royce in front of you, um, and also Adeyemi, of course, or, or even Malen, I would say, eh, maybe not, but uh, they're, they're all players that they make a lot of deep runs that uh, the Hood can play into, but also just, you know, having quicker ball circulation Stuff like that uh, on a, on a good Dahoud day uh, you will definitely get, but um, yeah, I'm I'm struggling with the decision to let him go on a free transfer. Also, uh, if I'm honest, um, because I do think he is a player that Dortmund do need, and uh, 
maybe we'll see who the replacement is and uh, maybe it's a better version of the hood but uh, certainly uh, from from the player type we don't have that many midfielders um, that have this sort of skill set and it's very much needed as uh, this game very much proves but uh, last uh, if we shall move on <laughs> what I did appreciate about this game was that we finally saw a free kick goal again yeah uh, I don't necessarily recall the last uh, direct free kick uh, must have been Guerrero uh, presumably uh, the last uh, of Royce I did look up today was the final match day of the 2021 uh, season, the 3-1 win against Leverkusen, where the Bender twins and uh, referee Manuel Grefe had their uh, final Bundesliga games and, and Royce scored there. Um, yeah, a nice free kick. Only the 14th uh, Bundesliga uh, uh, free kick goal the entire season after 21 match days, which kind of took me by surprise a little bit but then if you if you uh, look at the the games uh, from from Dortmund this season I don't remember anyone scoring a free kick on Dortmund uh, might be incorrect there but um yeah I, I think it's kind of a dying art and I still think there's very few more satisfying things in 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 football than uh, just the perfect dinking free kick close to uh uh, the the penalty box so difficult to get it up and down but just the right amount of touch and pace and possibly uh, if the Hertha goalkeeper made a bit more of an effort but still didn't get to it would have been even better but it was uh, pretty, pretty nice <laughs> no it, it was a delicious free kick I have to say and uh, I think you said it before that Royce uh, always does well in uh, special <laughs> jerseys and uh, so I was looking for that and uh, yeah, he does. He, I thought he had a had a pretty good game overall, and uh, I'm very happy with that, especially next to Jan Brandt. Um, although I must say, you could see that uh, in in the build-up play and in position phase, uh, Jan Brandt is a little bit less involved when Marco Reus is on the pitch because they sort of share responsibilities as oftentimes double eights or double tens or whatever you want to call this position. Um, but uh, yeah, still good to see that uh, they can. Uh, combine fairly quickly if need be and um yeah in the end i think jamie bino gittens with just another world-class moment to uh, set up julian brandt um for the fourth goal um also just another delicious piece of art um <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say uh, i i know uh, how the reaction would be on the internet if uh, jamal Moziala does this kind of stuff um, Jamie Bino Gittens maybe does not have the same, um, I don't know, pedigree yet, um, but I'm sure soon enough um, there will be an uh, even even bigger uh, outcry, if you will, or, or, or praise for him if he continues to do things like that, because that is obviously crazy. Now I think he will have to do uh, a bit more from the beginning with Adeyemi being out, and uh, I'm not entirely sure how he will fare uh, as a complete starter. I mean, this time he came off after 30 minutes. Um, but um, yeah, I I do think that Dortmund will miss Adeyemi's defensive intensity going forward because that's something that Jamie Bino Gittens doesn't have quite yet. And uh, there is still a golf there. But uh, my boy, <laughs> when he just walks past, I don't know. I think in the end it was four Hertha defenders who all tried to pull him down. 
Um, it is just incredible how deep our bench is. And I mean, if you saw the bench before the game, you had Meyer obviously as a replacement goalkeeper, but then you have Reyna, you have Dahoud, you have Alea, you have Guerrero, Bellingham, Meunier, Zule, and then Bino Gittens. That's a formidable bench, and uh, that's the depth of a team uh, with a championship winning pedigree, I would say. Um, whether this game would aspire to the same predicate, I'm not entirely sure, but I, what I want to say personally is that I'm very happy with the scoreline because in the past we have uh, very often seen Dortmund um, yeah, <laughs> trip over themselves in, in these kind of games. So um, yeah, all, all things considered, I think a very positive afternoon. I mean, uh, everyone in black, I was going to say black and yellow, but it's all black, uh, black and silver if you want to uh, set also that it m might have not been the best performance. Um, but at this point, uh, I don't really care, especially at the back of a, of a big Champions League game. Um, we can talk about the Hoffenheim game now, Lars, because um, there will be a whole week of preparation and uh, Hoffenheim are in all sorts of trouble. Obviously, they have uh, switched coaches. They have now Pellegrino Materazzo, the former uh, Stuttgart uh, coach on the sidelines. Um, but uh, yeah, they have uh, the last four, five games even. They have all lost them. Um, if you add their cup loss against Leipzig, um, yeah, they're just not doing well. They're in 15th place right now and uh, yeah, actually threatened to become relegated or get relegated, even though I think from their squad quality, they should not be in that conversation. But, you know, it's Hoffenheim and there's just no energy around this uh, club. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, last First question I, I guess I have to ask, how do you feel about uh, Thomas Delaney joining Hoffenheim over the winter? Because that irked me a little bit. To be honest, I couldn't care less. Uh, I mean, the move to Sevilla didn't pan out. Uh, oddly enough, I think uh, he would be one of those guys having a bit of a renaissance at Dortmund at the moment because I certainly would have him over Özcan on the balance of the last couple of games. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think opportunities for him will have been relatively sparse after not featuring much for Sevilla. I think uh, Bremen came out and said that they thought about it but couldn't afford to even think about it deeply and I think ultimately uh, wanted to come back to Germany. Uh, are there better clubs in Germany than, than Hoffenheim from a number of perspectives, obviously, but I don't begrudge players uh, transfer moves it's it's their career it's reasonably short and and if he can make uh, the kind of money at Hoffenheim that he couldn't at Bremen then who am I to say that he shouldn't have gone to Hoffenheim right anyway so they, they did lose uh, they did lose one nothing to Augsburg uh, pivotal game for Hoffenheim and uh, probably one they didn't want to lose but uh, you know as, as opposed to most games that you do want to lose yeah, uh, <laughs> um, but what can you say about this Hoffenheim team and why they are so crap at this moment? Well, honestly, uh, I gave myself roughly 15 minutes of Augsburg against Hoffenheim last weekend and or Friday evening, and then I thought, uh, life's too short for this bullshit, and <laughs> turned off and did something else, so... It's not like I have deep, intimate knowledge of Hoffenheim, especially under uh, Matarazzo, who I think is a good coach and could easily uh, be coaching at a much higher level in the Bundesliga. And as you alluded to earlier, I think 
if you look at Hoffenheim's squad on paper, it's not like uh, you identify them uh, at the start of the season as relegation candidates. So um, I think if because I haven't seen Hoffenheim outside of a, a few bits and bobs here since the the first leg uh, or the, the the return fixture, uh, it's it's not like I uh, have great explanations or whatever. But I think. Uh, at the at the start of the season, if you would had told me the same exact squad that they have right now is uh, fighting with, uh, let's say Wolfsburg and uh, Frankfurt or whomever for sixth, seventh place, I don't think I would necessarily have better nice. So it's quite obvious that it's not necessarily about individual quality of of players, but you know the, the team as a whole not working under Andre Breitenreiter, who was their coach until uh, end of January, I suppose. Uh, and and also as you alluded to, um, just the, the entire vibe about uh, around Hoffenheim is basically a club without direction. They were uh, the 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 upstarts, the nouveau riche, uh, when they came into <laughs> the league, and then uh, they they flirted with having success, made the Champions League a couple of times, especially successful under Julian Nagelsmann. But now that there's a bigger nouveau riche club in Leipzig who are having tangible success, uh, sadly enough. Uh, it's, it's sort of like Hoffenheim have lost, uh, their, their, their way and also kind of the, their raison d'etre, if we want to keep talking French on this podcast. Please don't. <laughs> uh, because, uh, basically they were this, uh, upstart club, uh, you know, doing things differently. They were the, the Rangnick project, uh, you know, getting, young, exciting players from all over the world. Nobody knows them. And suddenly they, they perform well at Hoffenheim and they, the, as a club, they bring a fresh perspective to the Bundesliga for non-German, non-traditional Bundesliga fans. Uh, but now you have that kind of model in a few other places and obviously um, the, the most logical facsimile uh, being Leipzig. So there's kind of the question of what the hell are Hoffenheim supposed to be doing in the Bundesliga? Why are they taking up a place that could go to uh, Hamburg or Kaiserslautern or St. Pauli or I don't, I don't even care. It's, it's like that if you, if you ask uh, 100 Bundesliga fans, I think 98 of them will say uh, they don't have no idea what Hoffenheim are kind of doing in the Bundesliga at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm certainly one of them because I, I honestly have no idea. And if they get relegated, um, we'd all be better for it. And uh, if Dortmund can, for once, do their part to do it by beating them twice, uh, it'd be even nicer. You know, because that... Uh, that uh, <laughs> I don't even want to talk about it. That thing that happened some time ago <laughs> in 2013 is still very painful. Um, even though it was a very memeable afternoon, but uh, yeah. Um, anywho, this Hoffenheim team, I I'll be honest, the only player that really scares me is uh, Ilas Bebu because uh, of uh, I don't know if he has a great track record per se against Dortmund, but I just every time I see him, I I think he is probably the most dangerous player on that Hoffenheim team. Um, I think he is, um, you know, classic. I don't want to say pace merchant, but uh, he he has a good combination of of pace and and individual skill. And uh, Dortmund uh, have eaten a few counterattacks where he looked quite dangerous. 
And uh, so I, I guess this is something to take an eye on. And obviously, uh, I do wonder if we will get uh, Angelino Verdes versus Ryerson or uh, Marius Wolf on uh, Dortmund's right side because um, Angelino did make the transfer to Hoffenheim. And otherwise, yeah. What else is there to say about Hoffenheim? Kevin Vogt is their quarterback uh, holding center back, if you will. And uh, Oliver Baumann is the uh, most average goalkeeper of the Bundesliga, who is never too high and never too low. Uh, has his blunders here and there, but uh, also some of uh, really solid performances. So, like I said, I, I find him and most of their team pretty average and um, yeah, other than that, there's not too much to say. Obviously, we'll have uh, Thomas Delaney, uh, Thomas Delaney uh, in, in midfield, probably going up against uh, Ashan and Shan and whoever else is there, probably Bellingham, now that there's uh, uh, a whole week of rest. Yeah, I don't know. My prediction for this game is that Dortmund will take care of business, make it a 3-1 win and then get the hell out of there. Um, seeing as some of these wins have been reasonably, I don't want to necessarily say lucky, but you know, tighter than the scoreline sometimes, uh, should have been arguably and Hertha being one of them because after Hertha made it one, two, there were a few moments where, uh, Dortmund could easily have given up their lead. And I'm even despite their, uh, coming back from a lot of uh, bad moments already in 23. Uh, I don't necessarily know that they would have won that game, uh, given just how uh, performance went and whatever. So uh, ultimately, I think the winning run is going to come to an end sooner than later, um, which is just the nature of football. I mean, it's not like Dortmund are suddenly a super team that goes on 16 game winning runs or whatever. I mean, uh, what one funny thing uh, is that Dortmund are now exactly where they were last season. After 21 match days, they had 43 points last season. They have 43 points now, and they actually had by only one goal, but still a better goal difference last season and this season. And the only difference in, in terms of the league table is Bayern having nine fewer points. Um, but that's just a side note. And a lot of words for me to say that they are going to draw one one all at Hoffenheim. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it can always happen, especially on the road uh, and Dortmund playing in Hoffenheim. Uh, not always the greatest game to watch either. So I personally am not really uh, predicting a spectacle. I don't think uh, Hoffenheim can afford it anyway <laughs> to really, uh, you know, open up that much, to be honest. So, yeah, if they win, it's going to be a hard-fought one. Um, I do wonder if we'll get to see Girena make an appearance. Uh, now that Adimi and both uh, Mokoku are injured, I could foresee that. But otherwise, um, yeah, I just I just hope uh, Dortmund make it a ninth win and uh, prevent any more injuries because uh, I f I feel like they they have hit the limit <laughs> of uh, bearable injuries. But um, yeah, other other than that, Lars, uh, I know you want to watch uh, Inter now playing in Champions League. Until next time, and thank you for listening.